left field, and it is going to leave the ballpark. Over the train tracks and into the night. He made one mistake too many. Hung a breaking ball right over the middle of the plate, and Jorge Soler destroyed it. And it is three to nothing, Atlanta. Oh, Kevin Barker, I, I don't even need. I watched that. I didn't even want to know the distance on Jorge Soler's home run, because to me, when you can say that you've hit the ball over the train track, yeah. it, it doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter where the train track is. It doesn't matter what field it is. If someone says to you, "Hey, man, I hit a ball over the train tracks," you're going, "That's that's that's pretty good." I, obviously it is. It's one of those things. I said this yesterday. It'd be interesting to see when Dusty takes out Garcia. Five, five pitch walk to Rosario. You taking him out? 29 pitches. Mm, I'm not. Based on what I saw. Three days from, rest. Based, on, in, based on what I saw from Christian Javier. Yeah. Dusty, I, I mean, Dusty, Dusty's team just ran out of bullets. He did. That, that, Absolutely. It's, it's that simple. They yep. just ran out of bullets. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. They are the 2021 World Series champions. We'll be joined in a few minutes by their general manager, Alex Anthopoulos. Let's consider Let's consider the Braves for a minute. Let's just consider the Braves for a minute. This is a team that lost Ronald Acuna on July 10th. All he was doing was leading the National League and wins above replacement at the time. They lost Charlie Morton in game one of the World Series. And only one other pitcher led his team in wins and strikeouts in the regular season, then was only able to get seven outs or fewer in the World Series and still have his team win. you got to go back to 1971, the Pittsburgh Pirates, Doc Ellis. This is a team that completely changed its outfield. The opening day outfield, Acuna, Patch, Ozuna, completely different outfield. Had four position players, including Jorge Solar, Kevin Barker, who was on somebody else's team at the start of the year. This is a team... 111 games before they got above 500. 111 games before they got above 500. And yet, all of that. You know how many times they trailed in the postseason this year? How many times they trailed a series? They faced a 95-win Braves team, a 106-win Dodgers team, a 95-win Astros team. You know how many times they trailed in the postseason? How many? One, they lost the first game of their series to Milwaukee. They were down 0-1. That is it. Yeah, yeah it really how is. Does it, how did this, ha- pitching, it, how pitching did this happen? Pitching. Pitching. You had three guys out of the bullpen who were electric, who didn't give up any runs, who Brian Snicker could go to at any time, any part of the game. A.J. Mentor took a huge step forward, given more than one inning. You could bring him in, gets righties, gets lefties. Didn't matter. They were throwing strikes. They were eliminating people. They were being efficient. Uh, yeah, I'm going to ask Alex which one of the three he he – thinks is the biggest surprise out of those guys. But that's that's ultimately what that comes down to. You need really good pitching. You need surprises, which they had out of the bullpen. Uh, it, it's And then you had you needed some guys in, in their lineup to step up, and Soler doing his thing. He had more home runs than the entire Astros team with three, and all three home runs he hit were go-ahead homers. It's You, you just need a collective team effort to take place in the biggest part of the season, and that's exactly what the Braves had. 7-0 was the final score. Jorge Soler, as Kevin Barker mentioned, was named World Series MVP at another of Alex Anthopoulos' midseason acquisitions. Alex Anthopoulos was not part of the celebration. Uh, he tested positive for COVID-19, so he could not join the Braves. Uh, this was not 
told to anybody in the Braves clubhouse. The only person who knew about it, the only person who knew about it was Brian Snicker, the manager. Alex had gotten a hold of him. The players didn't know about it. Uh, clearly, the media didn't know about it. They found out after the game when Alex wasn't on the field celebrating. Um, and we'll, we'll let Alex... Uh, I, I had a text exchange with Alex last night and this morning, and he's doing well, and he's kind of frustrated, I think, because he doesn't have any symptoms. But uh, we'll let Alex... We'll let Alex mm-hmm. talk about that. Hey, Kevin Barker, Walt Weiss, the bench coach, the Atlanta Braves, said to Ken Rosenthal after the series was over, really none of this makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> considering well considering where the Braves were. Considering where the Braves were and considering where they ended up. Uh, you made the point. The pitching was terrific. The Astros, not only did their pitchers run out of bullets but offensively they were just they just ground to a halt as well i, I think jose the jose altuve had both of their home runs he did, right? yeah michael brantley had one rbi jordan alvarez had uh two hits he had no rbis alex bregman was two for 21 he had two rbis when you know three of your big guys and jose altuve wasn't getting on base a ton and and he had a lot of all or nothing in his swing now you tip your hat to the braves pitching they did a really good job of not missing over the plate mm. when it mattered the most and you saw a little bit of that with you, you talked about the Astros team as a whole when it comes to the pitching staff running out of steam, and you could see finishing at bats. That that was the whole thing was you, when when you got a, a a good hitter on the ropes, can you make that quality pitch? And it just seemed like when it mattered the most, uh, the Braves took advantage of some bad pitches, and that's what you do when you're a World Series team. As somebody who played first base, what went through your mind when you saw that play at first base early? You saw uh, Michael Brantley step on on Max Fried's leg at the bag. I mean, the whole play, clearly it was broken uh-huh. down on TV. But as what were, you, were your first? My first thought was the dude's broken his ankle. That was my first thought. Yeah, not me. Brackle Brantley, I, th- I believe him. Uh, he wears plastic spikes. It's, you know, they're, they're not made of like a potato chip. They're, they're, they're strong athletes. Mm-hmm. I, this, this, if you're any young player learning how to cover first base, run with your head up. That's what you do. Don't run with your head down trying to find the bag and then look up for the ball. No, you're Freddie Freeman's basically going to throw him a lead pass, isn't he? He's going to flip it to him. He's close enough to him. He's going to flip it to him. You run with your head up. He gives you the ball sooner. You catch the ball before you actually get to the bag. It's baseball 101. And it it, it didn't seem to bother him that they didn't go. Seemed to pitch matter after that. (laughs) uh, Well, look, he, he, he was, you know, first and second with nobody out facing the meat of the order. And it's me against you. And, we saw 97s, 98s. That's the hardest he's thrown all year. It's one of those, I've had enough of this. I know I've yeah. had a couple of stinkers. I need to have a good start here. My team needs me, and that's exactly what he did. That's why I said yesterday coming into that game, if they're going to win this thing, it's going to be with their best pitcher on the mound, Max Freed. He just looked to me like in that last start and the way he's talking, he he felt like he let his team down. Yeah, well, it was it was a terrific, it was a terrific start, and after – all we've gone through with pitching in this postseason, just seeing a guy go out and give you six. It was almost like, I don't know, it was like 2000 again. Starting pitcher goes out and gives you, what, six or seven innings. You had 72 pitches. 72 pitches. Through through six innings. That's not bad. No, not bad at all. Well, we mentioned Alex Anthopoulos is the general manager of the Atlanta Braves, the World Series winning Atlanta Braves. And as we said, he was not, uh, not on site as a result of testing positive for COVID-19. We're very pleased to be joined by Alex Anthopoulos. Alex, first of all, congratulations on the World Series win. Got to ask you, how are you feeling? Um, and and when did you find out that you had tested positive for COVID-19? And 
what was your first reaction? Yeah, so one, obviously, it's exciting, and it's a, you know, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a weird way to go through it, but I'm just really excited that, that we won. But, yeah, so my wife and I are both fully that vaccinated, and um, we had been traveling the entire playoffs and hadn't really been outside of traveling with the team, going to Houston and so on, and we're both fully vaccinated and got back and went to game one on Friday, and then Saturday I decided to test. I feel fine. And I just did it, and I remember just getting the results tested positive, and I thought it was a joke. I was like, you know, when I was told, I was like, no way. And um, I couldn't, you know, you start to trace back, you start thinking about it, where could I have gotten it? Because I didn't really go outside any of the World Series, whether it was the field, the media that day, uh, team hotel, things like that. But, you know, from that point, my number one concern was, um, one, I didn't want it to impact the team at all. I didn't want it to be a distraction. I didn't want... Even one of our players or our manager to have to talk about it or even take a second away of what we had to worry about, which was winning games. So our chairman, uh, Terry McGurk, who's my boss, and uh, Brian Snicker, the manager, I told them obviously right away. And I said, look, let's keep this quiet. So the minute it's over, uh, we'll come out and tell everybody. But, you know, I think I did a pretty good job. I was away Saturday, Sunday. I missed games four and five. Um, and I watched from home, and me and my family just watched from, from home. But I knew that eventually I wasn't going to be able to, to keep it quiet that long, but I was very concerned that all of a sudden we're trying to get ready, we're doing our advance, we're doing our process, and then the news about me comes out and players start to get asked about it, or the manager, the coaches, and we take any, any of their, their, their focus or attention away from the field. So um, once I knew that if we ever won, We'd be up on the stage. I knew that's when my phone would start to explode. But at that point, I was just so happy that we won. Uh, and I trust wife, the family, everybody's fine. Yeah, everyone's great. The kids are doing online Good. school. Um, you know, what's crazy is that my wife continues to test negative today, which is incredible. Uh, but that I think part of it is that I got my vaccine about two months earlier than her. Mm-hmm. Um, I got mine late January, early February, and I think in hindsight. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you don't know how long the, va- the vaccine lasts, but that's pretty, you know, that's, you know, something that's eye opening. She got hers towards the end of March. So I think that certainly could have had an impact as well. You know, we uh, we ran down some of the things the, that the Braves had to go through this year and, you know, some of the statistical stuff, uh, you know, n- not being above 500 for 111 games or ho- however long it was. And and I mentioned that Walt Weiss, Ken Rosenthal asked him, how did this happen? And Walt said, I don't know. None of this makes any sense. Um, I'll ask you, how did this happen? You know, I know we talked about this back when I was there in Toronto. You know, I'm a big run differential guy. And our run, run differential, even with Freddie Freeman hitting a buck 80 and Danzy Swanson not hitting and Riley not hitting for the first month or so, um, and then Noah getting hurt, and then Ozuna being out. Run differential was still, I think, plus 40, plus 43, which is still well ahead of everybody else in the NL East. And, you know, we were four or five games under 500, and I think our expected wins this year were about 94, 95. Mm-hmm. And, again, it did happen. You know, expected is expected, but um, it was very similar to Toronto. Our run differential, I think, at the time of the trade line, it was like plus 120. It's something very, very strong. So we were a much better club than we had shown. Um, look, the last two months of the year, we played a lot better. Darno came back, Ian Anderson came back, and Noah came back. 
all those guys that, that we added, I mean, the team was just not remotely the same through those first four months. And then beyond the fact that Freeman started playing the way he, that, he, that he could, Swanson, Riley, all the talent kind of, the cream rose to the, to the top. Um, and I think, the, you know, obviously to the coaches and the staff, they're in it, they're grinding day in and day out. But, you know, we had a shot. And, um, you know, even we ended up, even with all that said, we still ended up with the third best run differential in the NL behind L.A. and the Giants ahead of the Brewers. So I know the Brewers won 95 games, but we felt pretty good about going into that series. We did not sit there and think we'd win the World Series. We just wanted to get in. But we thought once we got in, we had a chance to, to go far if things broke right for us. Uh, has what A.J. Minter did in the playoffs, did that surprise you at all? No, just because what was surprising was how we got off to a slow start in the current year. Just He was so good last year. He had a sub-1 ERA for us last year. I know it was a short year. And then what he did in the playoffs for us last year, he was incredible too. If you guys remember, we, we, uh, we, we had him pitch three innings for us to, in the NLCS against L.A., and he just mowed through those guys for three innings in 2020. So the upside's been there. He's, he's closed for us in 2019. He's just been so up and down. We thought finally 2021 is the year he's going to put it all together, and he just hit a bump in the road again. But the talent was there. The ability was there. The upside was, was, was there. He just needed to get hot again. Um, and it was great because he's, he's done this in, in, the, in the past. And, um, you know, he obviously deserved it. He put in a ton, a ton of work. Yeah, we talk about Brian Snicker all the time, but somebody we don't rarely talk about is Ron Washington. Can you talk a little bit about him and how happy are you for him? He's been in baseball for decades. It's got to be exciting for him, too. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. I mean, obviously, he's got great content, great infield guy and all that stuff. But, you know, the most impressive thing is I've never seen someone connect as well as he does with players. Just the energy, the passion, the motivational speeches, um, He's just incredible. He's one of the most unique guys I've ever gotten to be, be around. Um, I was excited. One of the things that was exciting when I got to Atlanta was I got a chance to meet him and get a chance to work with him. And, you know, the other thing, too, is when I got here, they, just, they weren't doing – it's not his fault, but they weren't doing a whole lot on maybe some of the R&D stuff and the positioning stuff. And um, to Wash's credit, he's been so open-minded about so many things. And we'll do it as a team. You know, a lot of times we'll work on stuff upstairs. Then we'll come down, we'll bring it to Wash, we'll sit down with him and say, hey, here are some things that we noticed, here are some things that we spotted, and then we'll get his knowledge and we'll put it all together. And if we come we have a meeting of the minds and we think something makes sense, then we'll go to the next step and we'll present it to a, to a player. But he's, for a guy, people say old school and been around forever, he's all about information, he's all about doing things right, um, no ego at all. And uh, he's been amazing to work with. Yeah, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think mid-season you guys started uh, more advanced scouting in the infield, more drastic shifts, that kind of thing. How much did that help with the outcome of the season? Yeah, so when I first got here, um, you know, the Braves had been doing things a certain way. We have a lot of established players, Freddie Freeman, Nick Markakis. And I remember, you know, it was one of those things you don't want to come in and start ramming any little thing down anyone's throat. You know, you're trying to build trust and, and buy-in and, you know, compliance and buy-in are not the same things, right? So I can come in and say, well, I'm the, the GM. I, I expect everybody to do X, and I expect compliance, but that's just not going to be sustainable. So I think to get buy-in, you need to just kind of slowly build that and do it. So I remember, you know, sitting Nick Markakis down in spring training and talking to him about, you know, trying the, the, out, the outfield car. That was something that we were going to try. Um, sitting and talking about some of our infield positioning that we were going to start to change. 
And our guys weren't totally comfortable with full-fledged shifts, so we did a bunch of what are called partial shifts where we'd have guys basically up the middle but not on the other side of the bag. So, you know, guys just didn't want to go. And you know what? So I didn't want to, I didn't want to overdo it. Guys didn't want to go that far that fast, so, which was fine, and we had success. So we won three divisions in a row. Finally, when we weren't having success early in, in the year and we were getting killed on balls down, down the line, that was the window to kind of go back and say, look, I know we've been doing this for a while, but we need to start making some changes. And Wash was the first one that we sat down with, and I wanted to get his input. What's the best way to deliver this to the guys, to the infielders and so on, and how do you suggest we go about starting to do some of these things? And he was awesome. We worked as a team. We implemented it in 24 hours. And he trusts and he believes in what we're doing up, upstairs. And he got the players on board, and we got a lot better. Alex, uh, looking at the players you acquired at the trade deadline and the impact they were able to have in this team, and I know you, you talked about run differential and also how you, know, you, you referenced Billy Bean and the idea that if your team is competing, if you've got a shot, you owe it to the players, you owe it to, the, you owe it to, to people to, to, to do whatever you can to... Know, to, to get into the postseason. One of the things you said is that you guys did a really good job <clears throat> of identifying players who uh, maybe weren't having the best of years, but had shown signs that things were turning around a bit for them. What did you see in Jorge Soler? Yeah, so Soler obviously had been a very good player before. He had hit 48 home runs in 2019. Even 2020, it was a solid year. He didn't have a terrible year, but didn't follow it up. Didn't follow up the big 2019 year. Um, but, look, he had gotten off to an awful start. And finally in July, I think he had six home runs in the month of July by the time we acquired him. We were following him. He would really started to make some strides. He did a lot of work on the person, the makeup. Um, we noticed he had just gotten a little long with his swing and was just getting back to starting to shortening it up. So there were a lot of things pointing in the right direction that this return to form and this little mini hot streak that he had started – look like it was real and going to be sustained. Now, you just don't know changing leagues and so on. But you're looking at, the, at that point, you need to look, you know, you don't have a whole lot. And guys that are having down years, if you're going to take a shot on them, you're looking for small samples, you're looking for upside. Um, and there were a lot of indicators there. One, he's young, he had success in the past, and he finally started to get hot again. And, you know, it felt like the right, you know, it was the right price and, Definitely good opportunity for us. Uh, there were chance last night of re-sign Freddie uh, from Braves fans. What, what does the process look like when de- when deciding the, his future, and how soon will discussions uh, one way or the other uh, begin? Yeah. So obviously, in terms of discussions, things like that. I mean, I obviously have been asked about it all year. Um, he wants to be here. We want him to stay. Um, I've never, you guys know me, I've never gotten into the, the discussion stuff, but I think, I think generally speaking, when, when both sides say we want to stay and we want to keep him here, you know, it's, there's likely been some type of talks. Um, just overall, he knows how we feel. We know how he feels. Uh, that being said, right now, obviously, hope we got a parade on Friday, which is <laughs> hopefully going to be great. Get to experience that. And, you know, once we get through that, the off season is, you know, full speed ahead for us. So, we obviously have some other things we need to take care of with options and things like that, that just from a rule standpoint, we have to follow the time frames. But, look, we, we want him to stay. He, wa- he, he wants to stay here. 
um, how long that takes and how the process goes and timing. It's there's no way to tell, but um, it's a great place to start when both both sides want it to get done. Alex, I'm wondering when when the final out happened and and when the World Series was decided. Have you had time to look back on your journey to to this point? You know, I I mean, I remember talking to you for the book about. One of your jobs was when you were working for Fred Ferreira, driving to the airport to pick up pick up guys, and 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 bring them to his his, his training complex. Did you, have you had time to kind of look back and go, "Wow, this is this has been a really long journey," or is that something you maybe did more in 2015? You know, and were able to reflect on it then. You know, I don't know that I, I mean, I guess just when I get asked about it, um, maybe when, you know, I guess it's more when I get asked about young people trying to get in the game. And like you said, yeah, there's no doubt it's been an incredibly long journey. Now, at the time, you don't think about it because I was 23 when I started. Um, I had had a little bit of a taste of, you know, a quote, a real job working at my dad's heating and ventilation company. He was an engineer. He went to McGill in Montreal. I didn't do any of those those things, and he, he enjoyed it, and I, I hated it. And I tried it for two years, and I took night classes, and I tried to make myself enjoy it, and it wasn't my thing. And then once I'd gotten a taste of that and a taste of you know going to work every day and not liking what you do, um, I was so determined just to find something that I loved. And obviously, being a work in, in baseball was tops for me, but – I, at the time, I didn't really care what the job was going to be. I just wanted to work in baseball and do something that I enjoyed. And now when I look back with the family and kids, I'm like, man, I don't know that I could ever go back and do something like that again, you know, Um, because it was an incredible grind. I went down to Florida and worked for a year and a half, just like you talked about. Um, I had to use a lot of my own dollars and savings. But I got to tell you, I loved every minute because I kept learning. And I remember when I finally got my first-time job with the Montreal Expos, the scouting coordinator, I wanted to be in that office every day. And I remember calling the scouting bureau and having them send me VHS tapes of drafts and things like that. So, you know, I think maybe when I'm way older, I'll look back at it. Uh, it's just, it's not my fast. It's been go, go, go. But, um, you know, when you do something you really enjoy, you don't really have time to look back. When, oh, sorry. One of the things you, you talked about a little earlier this year was you, know, you, you learned from your time in Toronto. And I think it was the 2014 team where – uh, at the trade deadline, a, a move wasn't made. It may have, may have been a little earlier, but and and you sort of talked about how you went to school and that, and you saw what that could do to a clubhouse. There are people in this city who are going to, frankly, you're going to get asked about this. Do you feel that you've proven anything to anybody with the Blue Jays by going on and and winning a World Series? Because you know people are always going to look at your departure from from the Blue Jays, and and they're always going to wonder about it. Um, is there yeah, any, no, any, yeah, any of that? I, in, I completely get it. Yeah. Is there any of that in, in, in your mind at all right now? No. You know what? I mean, look, one, the way, look, I, I, I said this at the time in Toronto, 20, 2014, obviously I, I learned from it and that wasn't going to happen in 2015. That's why I went into 2015 holding back $7 million, um, going in 20, be hoping that trade deadline, I thought, you know, we, we signed Martin. We traded for Josh Donaldson with four years of control. I mean, the thought was that we had Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion. You know, the thought was that we were going to be good for, for a while. So um, I learned from, from 14. I wanted to make sure I had dollars available. I didn't spend that money in the offseason. So in 2015, when our team was still good 
everything was pointing in the direction for us to make some moves. We, it, we were able to do it. Didn't need to go ask for any, any dollars. Um, and look, at the end of that, it ended up being a great year. I wish we would have won, but um, look, from that standpoint, uh, you know, that year, now I never looked at it. I mean, it was from an, from an individual standpoint, I won, I won executive of the year, which I never thought in, in my life I'd have a shot at getting something like that and being voted by your peers. And I got offered an amazing deal to stay. And I remember the day I walked out of the office in Bloor Street, um, meeting with Rogers and getting that five-year offer. I remember coming out of that building thinking, I'm going to stay. And uh, I felt really good. You know, and then when I finally got home and um, I just sat down with my wife and I just, it just, I couldn't, you know, get over the hump. I just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And I know that was tough and that was a big story and all that. But um, the next, I just did not want to take a job because the contract was great or the money was great. And it just didn't feel like the right fit for me. I know I said it at the time. Look, I do believe everything happens for a, a reason when it's all said and done. I mean, I look at my, my dad passed. If he hadn't, I probably wouldn't be a GM today. Um, if I hadn't left Toronto, I wouldn't have gone to L.A. I wouldn't be in, in Atlanta. I wouldn't have won a World Series. Toronto's in an unbelievable spot right now. They're really well run. They're, they're an exciting team. I think they're going to be good for a long time. I think they absolutely could have gone and won the World Series, too. So I think when you look back, you know, we can rehash all that stuff. I had to make a decision for me, and I know that's tough, but I was treated really well. We had success at, at the end. Uh, I didn't ever view it as anything beyond that, and it was tough. I, it was a tough call to make, um, but it's one it just felt like the right thing to do. When uh, Braves fans see you, what's been their reaction on the postseason? Um, you know what? The most gratifying thing is when people just say they say thank you for the year and the, the joy that the team brings them. So that's the most gratifying part of these jobs, right? Knowing the joy you bring and the impact and, you know, schools are doing Braves days and uh, everyone in the city is going crazy. And you know that I became a Montreal Expos fan because Felipe Alou came aboard and they started to contend. And I know that there were Jays fans because of the World Series years, because of those World Series years. So there's going to be a bunch of new Braves fans because we were a really good club this year and we won the World Series. And that's pretty exciting, too. So knowing that you have a long-term impact in a community, in a city, that you're a part of that um, is a pretty great thing. Um, and, you know, um, I'm going to enjoy it for however many days, four or five days. But then i got to be honest with you, once – the four or five days are over. It's like, okay, how are you going to, how are you going to do it again? Which is obviously really hard. Um, but you start from scratch again. And, um, so I'm going to try to make sure that these four or five days are great, but, um, I'm just excited for Atlanta because it's, since I've been here, there's a lot of what was us 28 to three Super Bowl loss, mm-hmm. uh, college, you know, Georgia Bulldogs. They lost a tough game years ago. And a lot of people think that Atlanta was cursed. So, to finally come through and win is awesome for the defense. Alex, listen, you've always been uh, gracious with your time, and uh, we really appreciate you doing this today. You know uh, how much we like you and, and, and how much we respect you and how happy we are for you. Uh, and we really do hope that uh, yeah, we, we hope that uh, you're out and about in the next couple of days and, uh, and you get a chance to enjoy the parade and enjoy the celebrations. And thanks, as always, and the best to your family as well. Congratulations. Yes, sir. All right. All right, guys. Yeah, I hope I hope we're there Friday on the parade. We're certainly going to try. All right. Take care. Thanks again, Alex. Congratulations. That is Alex Anthopoulos.
World Series winning general manager. And as he said, he's going to get back to work in four or five days. This is something about this Braves team. They ain't going away. I mean, even if, if, if and Alex sure sounded, sure sounded to me like they've had some discussions about re-signing Freddie Freeman. Yeah. But even if Freddie Freeman doesn't come back, they're going to get Ronald. They're going to, they haven't had Ronald Acuna since July 10th. They're right. going to get him back. Mike Soroka at some point, knock on wood, is going to come back. Okay. They're going to have money to spend one way or another. They've got Ozzy Albies and Acuna on really good, like really, really good friendly contracts. Yeah. They'll go into next season. They'll go into next season favorites in that division. So I, I'm just saying, it, you know, yeah. it's hard to repeat in sure, baseball. It sure, it sure, it's hard to repeat in baseball, but they'll be a factor next year. It sure sounds like somebody in ownership has has walked up to Freddie Freeman and been like, hey, I know we haven't talked a lot about it, but there'll be a blank check for you. Don't worry about it. It'll be taken care of. It sure sounds that way anyway, and, and I'm with you. I, I think they understand it. They know, and Alex knows, probably next year in the NL East, 88 wins not going to do it. It's going to take a few more wins. I know they they had some hiccups when it comes to injuries, and they'll get those pieces back. But it's it's just a, a really good uh, story, I think, with with Brian Snicker and the forty five years with the Braves and yeah. all he went through at the minor league level level and being the third base coach at the big league level, and then you can just see he's a great it's, person, which which helps to to, to root for the Atlanta Braves. It's funny when, when we had Alex on the last time, we talked a little bit about Brian Snicker, and and I would urge people to. To take to to just do some reading on him. Like, this is a guy that was not only passed over for jobs within an organization. This is a guy who was demoted a couple of times Absolutely. by the Braves organization. Yep. Now think about that. This is a guy who was demoted. This is a guy who has had somebody say to him, "You know what? We think person X can do a better job than you can." And that's essentially what they're saying in that position. So, absolutely, all credit to uh, Brian Snitker and to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I think they're great World Series champions. It was an enjoyable season. People may have liked a little more drama in the World Series, but uh, I, I I think they're worthy worthy champions. And again, you know, baseball delivers. It's the look at the numbers. It's the toughest sport to repeat in. You do not yeah. repeat as a World Series champion in baseball. There's more parity in this sport than uh, than any other sport. And that, to my way of thinking, is something to be celebrated. So too. Well, I think Dusty Baker should be celebrated as well. The manager of the Houston Astros. Uh, he, of course, this morning will be dealing with the fact that he has still managed more games and won more games without a World Series win than any active manager or without winning a World Series title than any active manager. Mr. Barker's played for him. So is Doug Glanville. He's ESPN's MLB analyst. He'll join us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. spent the first part of the show talking about the Atlanta Braves and talking to Alex Anthopoulos and congratulating him on the World Series. The uh, flip side, of course, is Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros. And if you've listened to the show, you know uh, how much both of us, both Kevin and myself, like Dusty Baker. Kevin played for him. Um, I've had a chance to talk to him numerous times covering baseball. And, uh, you know, it goes without saying there isn't anybody in the game that doesn't, I wouldn't even say like Dusty Baker. The the feeling people have for Dusty Baker goes much, much, much beyond uh, liking. One of those people uh, is our next guest. He wrote a terrific article on uh, ESPN.com about 
Dusty Baker. He is Doug Glanville, ESPN MLB analyst. He joins us in Blair and Barker. Doug, thanks so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Look, as, as I mentioned, Kevin played for Dusty. You played for Dusty. I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to ask both of you guys this, and Doug, I'll, I'll let you go first. What do you think Dusty's thinking and feeling this morning? Well, uh, good morning, guys. Uh, well, I'll tell you, he's he's disappointed, and I think he expressed it last night. But he always talks about you know the journey and, and that there's something higher at work that he respects and knows that it's part of the plan. And, and you know, Dusty was very spiritually centered and, and, you know, humble about it. So, you know, I think even within the disappointment in the long road, they accomplished a lot of incredible things, you know, given what the Astros were facing after the scandal came out and players and just the, the real vitriol that was hurled towards them. And, and they certainly brought a lot of it onto themselves. And Dusty had to rebuild and come in at a time that they were you know, nowhere to be found and through a pandemic on top of it. So it's, it's quite an accomplishment. And I'm sure he, he recognizes that, but he has a thirst for more. He has a bottomless tank. <laughs> so I imagine you'll see him around next year. That, that's well said. How do you think uh, Dusty, as a manager, did in this postseason, especially in the World Series? I think he did well. I mean, he ran into a, a buzzsaw that there was the Atlanta Braves. I mean, the Atlanta Braves, you know, turned everything just fell into place. Alex Anthopoulos, who you just talked to, he – made all the right moves at the right time. He had had a vision for it. Nobody else took the division under control, Phillies or Mets. So they took off, but then they, they were just world beaters. They beat the one of the best pitching styles in the Brewers. They beat the Dodgers, whose payroll could buy probably Mars if they wanted to. <laughs> and then they, they went on and knocked off the Astros with, with, with good pitching, timely hitting. Uh, they're, not, you know, they're the champs, I mean, and they did it through the hard way. They played some of the best teams in the game. And the the Astros just came up short. They didn't get the hits. Their starting pitching was too inconsistent. And uh, and that was really the the end of it. The Braves deserve a lot of credit. I I know that you talk about talking your article about the trade from Texas to uh, to Baker Chicago Cubs. And it was a trade, your your trade at at the trade deadline. Um, We saw the, the, the Braves make a bunch of trades at the, at the trade deadline. Jock Peterson, they got a little bit before the deadline. As someone who's been in a clubhouse, has been part of that, Doug, what does it take for a team to bring all these new pieces in and have it mesh? Because Alex also did this with 2015 with the Jays, right? He brought some big personalities in. I mean, Troy Tulowitzki yep. and, and David Price and Troy Hawkins, big personalities, and it meshed. What does it take for that to work out? Leadership. You know, it takes the right leader, and Brian Snicker deserves a tremendous amount of credit for not only getting the talent and putting it together in the pieces. I mean, Alex Anthopoulos makes the moves, but then you know someone has to lead them into the right direction, understand their capabilities, know how to use them effectively. And I, we talked to Freddie Freeman the other day in interviewing, and he said that not only was it sort of the, their abilities and their productivity, but they just fit well in the clubhouse, and they saw that right away. They had some context with Duval, Solaire. I mean, it was just a very good fit. And on top of that, it was there was an upside. Guys like Rosario, they were injured. They were coming back in August. They kind of gave the spark. And it happened right when Acuna Jr. went down. So all that had to, it took tremendous leadership. And remember, the Braves were just kind of floundering for a mm-hmm. while. They were 500. They were winning losing. 
but the timing was impeccable and and you have to you know look to leadership because I've seen a lot of teams where you make moves and it just implodes because people don't get along they don't have purpose they don't know where they're going and that was not the case with the Atlanta Braves I, I can remember when I was at the Reds and I was with Dusty and I, I got Dusty sent me down and he called me in the office uh, Doug I was a 25th guy he, he didn't have to call me in the office he didn't have to be nice to me you know but he treated me like I was hitting third on his team at the big league level. I, I, and I thought, started talk, talk, uh, thinking about Jordan Alvarez and what the conversation would be like for a kid that's 24. What was he? He was two for 20, didn't have an RBI. What do you think the conversation was like uh, game after game with him and Dusty? Yeah, Kev, I mean, you, you know how Dusty is. He's positive. He's very positive. And he wants to, you know, you to see your success because it's based on certainly success you've had in the past. Alvarez had a great series right before the World Series in the ALCS. So, you know, he he recognizes it's, it's it's in you. And I know for me, I got traded at a, at a tough time. I lost my father, and I'm trying to figure out where I am, a, a father figure that Dusty Baker kind of filled in. And uh, so when I got traded, I was very disoriented. And just to sit down, knowing that your role was going to be different, I was a starter in Texas, and I became a kind of a bench role player in Chicago and that's hard, but you have to manage all those egos and 25th man or first man that everybody has a certain level of pride about they're there because these are greatest players in the world and, and they've had success. So he understood how to tap that again, even in the face of disappointment and get perspective. I just found that Dusty offered a lot about himself. That was what was so different. You hear managers all the time say, Oh, my, my door is always open, right? You hear that all the time. And, but it was not only his door, he was everywhere and open. He just talked to you about his family and things he went through and lessons he learned. There's a humility that comes with leaders that actually listen and feel that they can learn from, from their team, from their players. Just like I teach a course at university of Connecticut and I'm a professor, but I learn from the students. And, and when you go in with that attitude, knowing that it's reciprocal, then you can have those conversations. You can understand that everybody's valuable. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody is important. And Dusty treated everyone the same in that way, the, the gold standard. And, um, you know, you know that he brings that huma- humanity to the game. He brings a sense of you know, the diversity that he celebrates. I mean, it was just a real wonderful person to play for. Do you think the Astros should bring Dusty back next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the question I had is I thought – Dusty might be like, all right, let me let me see what's out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's from Sacramento, and you know, I, I guess the I don't know if the E's hired anybody yet, but um, yeah, he wants to win. And and Houston, they're pretty close, but a lot's going to happen. Whether they sign Correa back, they have some big questions. They need better starting rotation, I would say. So I don't know if they're you know going to get those pieces. And with the potential lockout on the horizon, free agency might stall out. So it's going to be tough. But I, I, Dusty. Definitely has a lot left in the tank. Uh, I know we've only got you for another couple of minutes here, but I'll, I'll ask you this. Um, how do you think history will look at this Braves team? Uh, and this Astros team, the, by the way. I mean, the Braves are going to see a team that probably came from the farthest distance to become the champion, mm-hmm. <laughs> possibly in history. I mean, Sarah Lang's posted the, the, win, the percentage of their chances of winning as a function of time. And it was like a flat line at zero for most of the season. And then it became a hundred percent. So I think the Braves will show that. And you'll look at it and say, wow, they were, they were actually really talented. And, and, and all these teams, 
granted, it's a legit thing, but they always say, oh, we were hurt, we had injuries. Well, guess what? The Braves had all kinds of injuries, mm-hmm. had all kinds of issues, and they still won. So, you know, they just kind of throw away a lot of that. So I think you'll see, uh, you know, the approach senior managers that can still do it. You don't have to be 23 and, you know, analytical. You can do, the, you can combine all these different methods of approaching leaders and have respect. And, and that actually, you know, still matters. So Snicker did a great job. And I think the Astros will be looked at as a team that Dusty Baker came in and was the right man for the job. He was someone that turned their past over and, Took, it, took the lessons from it and, and rebuilt something really quickly into a champion. Uh, I think that's, that's a tremendous story because it's really hard enough to just beat teams without all these distractions of people booing you and all the toxicity of their, of their scandal. And um, I think that says a lot. So, you know, the Astros still are going to always, they'll always deal with that shadow. But I think Dusty made it a lot easier because he, he taps the fact that hate and all those negative energy that actually hurts the person that's actually expressing it. And I think he always talked about that. Like it holds us all back, not just because we're mad at this team. And I think he lived that lived by that example. Doug, that was really well said. Thanks so much for your time today. You know, uh, you know, we appreciate your time and, uh, and be well. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll have a, a relatively smooth off season here. Huh. He said, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> exactly. Fingers crossed. Thanks, right, Jeff, Kev, thanks, for having, thanks for having me on. Take care. As Doug Glanville and uh, ESPN MLB analyst. And if you ever get a chance to, uh, to hook up with, uh, if you get a chance to hear Jason Stark's podcast with Doug Glanville, give him a listen. Yeah. Because they are absolutely phenomenal. And of course, if you want, uh, you can give our podcast a listen. And as I've said a couple of days ago, we will be uh, taking a winter hiatus uh, as of Friday, or I guess next Monday, but we'll still be doing a podcast. You'll hear us whenever the uh, the Jays make a move. Probably hear me whenever there's a baseball labor story. And, uh, and, and then, of course, once spring training rolls around, we'll be back as per usual from 10 to noon. And then once the baseball season starts, I should say once the hockey season ends, uh, we'll be on 5 to 7 as your drive show and uh, your Jays pregame show. And then following the game, Barker and myself will be on Blue Jays Talk. Uh, this is Dusty Baker after yesterday's, or after last night's game, after the end of the World Series, being asked about, once again, coming so close and not getting over that final hurdle. Hey, Dusty, you yep. came... In this position, runner-up World Series in 2002, I just wonder, how long does it take to get over a tough World Series loss like this? And do you ever really get over it? Uh, I don't. I think you get over it. Other people don't let you get over it. And, and, and other people don't get over it. You know, um, to me, we, we did all we could you know, to get to this point. And, uh, you know, I mean, I had a bunch of, you know, young guys that had never been in this situation. You know, they, I mean, they, you know, they played. You know, like, I'm proud of these guys. I'm real proud of these guys. Um, quite frankly, this one doesn't hurt quite as much as, as the first one did. You know, because the first one, um, we, um, you know, I thought we had that one. You know what I mean? more than 
than this one. You know, when you got to come back and come back. You know, the last one we had the lead in the series. You know, this one we didn't. And I remember Tom Lasorda, uh, after, after, after that loss, you know, he reminded me that our first two trips with the Dodgers, um, 77 and 78, you know, that we lost. And then, then we came back in 181. So, uh, yeah, I feel bad. I feel terrible because I'm not really ready to go home. You know, I ain't been home since I left in February. So, you know, I must have loved these guys and love what I'm doing. Because, I, I mean, when was the last time you weren't home? Shit, was dang near. I looked on the calendar today. It's almost Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? And uh, so... It's okay. Um, that's it's okay. That was Dusty Baker speaking after mm-hmm. last night's seven nothing loss. And uh, just to jog people's memory a little bit, two thousand and two game six, the Giants are leading the L.A. Angels five nothing, um, eight outs away from the first title. <clears throat> Russell Ortiz, right-handed pitcher, was if you remember Marco Estrada's playoff start for the Blue Jays. That's what Russ Ortiz was doing, except it was in the World Series. Yep. Dusty Dusty went out to take him to take him out of the game. Ninety eight pitches, two yep. guys on though. T- took him out of the game, but one of those baseball god slash karma moments. As Russ Ortiz is leaving the pitching mound, Dusty calls him back and gives him the ball mm. as a souvenir. Yeah, and look, if you know Dusty, you understand why he was doing that. Long story short, Dodgers lose the game, end up losing the series. And, and Dusty's always had this thing about game six. Game six has not always been kind to him, of course, with yep. the, uh, as well when he was with, when he was yeah. with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, but I mean, what can you say? And we, just, it's funny. We had, uh, as Doug Lanville was talking, there was a report on MLB TV uh, Bob Nightingale reporting, was a little news item reporting that Jim Crane, the owner of the Houston Astros, will sit down with Dusty Baker in the next couple of days, and they're going to talk about either a one- or two-year contract, which makes me think that it's basically going to be Dusty's decision. Hey, if you want to be here for two years, we'll pony up for two years. Sure. If you just want to do it for one year, yeah. we'll do it for one year, but know that we'd like you to stick around. So I, I think Dusty... I, I mean, the Oakland job is kind of a mess right now. Uh, if I'm Dusty, I'm I'm staying with Houston. I, I got to be honest with you. Since the Padres job's been filled, there's no way there's no way you go to the A's and don't or the stay, Mets. Don't stay Dusty with don't need the Absolutely Dusty doesn't not. need the Mets. He's already he's already went through that this year and last year yep. with the Astros. Doesn't want to do that again. And you could say that's about two months too late. This that conversation for me with Dusty, it should already been taken care of. He should already had two more years. That should have been taken care of. Maybe it has already. Maybe it's sort of that Freddie Freeman thing of they just actually came out and said it. The conversation's already been had. But if you're listening to Dustin, you don't think he's the coolest man on planet Earth. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, and I also... I, I Man, he's cool. If you listen to the whole post-game availability, um, kind of... I remember Dusty after that 2002 World Series. He was devastated. And he made the point here that they had that World Series. They Absolutely. were going to win. That. They, were the that was in the, they were the better team. That World Series was in their grasp. Yep. This is a little different. Again, again, the Braves never trailed. 
no. in this series in terms of games. They trailed in games, but they never trailed in this series in terms of games. Yeah, he mentioned, he mentioned the younger guys. He, he was talking about, without saying their names, he was talking about the Jordan Alvarez's, the, 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 uh, the Luis Garcia. You know, the, the the moment was a little bit too big, and you could say that a little bit about Jordan Alvarez, too. The, he sure. just looked like he was chasing. He was trying too hard. I, I've seen that. I've been there and done it before. I know what trying too hard looks like, and that sort of – is what he was doing. Now you tip your hat to the Braves pitching staff, but the more a really good hitter sees certain guys over and over and over again, their approaches should look different than the Ordon Alvarez's approach mm-hmm. looked. And Dusty saw the same thing I was seeing. And that's why he, he mentioned that at least next year, the unfinished business, the guys that he had this year, that it was first time next year, it won't be the first time. And they will be a little bit better team because of it. Yeah, you wonder if maybe Dusty doesn't look at this thing and say, okay, you know what? I was there when Valdez and Garcia you know, had their struggles. I'd like to run it back with these guys again and, and maybe get them to take it to the to the next level. By the way, uh, a little, just an aside here. Um, I sent Alex a text a couple of days ago and asked about John Gibbons. But John Gibbons is an advisor with the Braves. He did, he was part of the advanced scouting team that, followed the Houston Astros during the postseason and put together reports uh, for the Astro or for the Braves coaching staff and for Alex on the Astros. So I guess what I'm saying is John Gibbons is going to get a ring out of this as well. Absolutely. So uh, kudos to John Gibbons, the former Blue Jays manager, who was very much part of this part of this organization. As we said, I would imagine, uh, I would imagine Gibby going to get a ring. Sure. He, he did just as much as behind the scenes, not being seen as much, but Having those guys go and and actually figuring out ways where you put your defense, where this guy has Mm -hmm. tendencies when he does make contact, where's he hit the ball most of the time, if you throw him this. So, yeah, there's always places for people like Gibby to add their little part of the game and and, and have their voice, and he he helped him win a World Series. Good for him. What, six, seven years after 2015, Gibby and Alex both get a ring. So you're going to say it all worked out pretty well.